0: Welcome to Transformation Simulation, the podcast about Agile transformations and personal transformations. Here are your hosts, fraternal Agile twins, only separated by four months, 100 pounds, meat consumption, and different parents. Alicia Yannick and Nathan Chawilawu-Ashe. Welcome to
1: Transformation Simulation, episode nine. You're almost the end.
2: Almost the end of season yeah. two. Right. the end.
1: You're here with the Agile twins, Alicia and Nathan. You know, you get top billing and everything, too. Did you know that?
2: Well, I should. I'm oldest. Is that why? Mm-hmm. And my name starts with an A. My first okay. name starts with an A. So I'm at the beginning of the alphabet and I'm your elder. So nothing but respect from you. That's, <laughs> that's what should be coming my way, Nathan. Nothing but respect from you.
1: My elders in my neighborhood, when I was coming up, they used to give me money sometimes
2: did they <laughs> i'll send you a quarter you bet <laughs> maybe 50 cents
1: you can pay me in gift cards Jedi? Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: for the sandwich <laughs> shop
1: heck yeah <laughs> we're at episode nine pivotal episode why don't we tune in and listen to see what's taking place in this
0: episode sounds good spring three starts. Scrum Master develops a hyper-vigilant attitude toward protecting the team from outside influence.
1: New guidelines and a working agreement edit no work to be completed that is not on our board, in our sprint, etc. The team starts to get a stride. The sprint, the team sandbags their commitment a little. Management attempts to push and preserve the team through
0: various team members. Team members refer, management, To the Scrum Master. The team for the first time delivers everything they committed and are able to take in
1: two
3: additional small stories. I'm ready for this sprint. No distractions, no work coming from external influences. Just focusing on the sprint goal. I was thinking that we should modify our working agreement to include language around what to do if someone requests that we get involved in efforts outside of our sprint work.
4: Well, good morning to you. I like your idea. Have you talked with the rest of the team?
3: Enough to know they are agreeable to taking a look at our working agreements and modifying them. How about after our stand-up today? Sure, that works. After the stand-up.
4: All right. Looks like we all agree that we want to be really aware of not accepting work outside of our sprint commitment. Here's where we landed on our agreement. If a team member is asked to contribute work in any way that isn't part of the sprinkle, we're going to send that person to the Scrum Master. I suppose I should get ready for battle. I have a question, though. What if it's a product outage issue or a production issue that impacts our customers? We really didn't talk about that scenario.
3: The way I see it, we drop anything for product issues because we need to keep our system stable for our customers. Our number one goal is to always provide value. And if you want to get nerdy about it, to delight our customers. Can't very well do that if the system is disrupted. We have processes in place for outages and sev one production issues but it would be interesting to see how often those impact our sprints. Scrum Master, is there a way we can track those on our sprint boards? Sure, we can whip up a story and create tasks.
4: That's easy. Okay team, anything else you would like to talk about before we hit the streets, so to speak? I know we took in fewer story points than we did in the last two sprints. What do we do if we finish the work and hit our sprint goal before the sprint is done?
1: Someone is feeling optimistic.
4: Oh, a little, I guess. Since our backlog is prioritized and refined, we can take in new work after everyone agrees to that because we need to make sure whatever we take can be done by the end of the sprint. No rolling
0: stuff over. Right. Okay. got it. Team, let's roll a couple days into the sprint. What do you mean you can't take on extra work? I've always counted on you to understand the importance of work that comes up that can't be planned for. You've been here a long time and know how things go. We have to meet our customers' needs and market demands. The market doesn't care about our sprints.
3: I understand where you're coming from, but we're doing things differently now. We can't finish the work we've committed to if we start multiple efforts. The Scrum Master is available for you. Talk with her and she can explain.
0: I don't need to talk with the Scrum Master. What I need is for you to be reliable and to be the hero you've always been to this department.
3: Not this time. It turns out that was a pretty chaotic and stressful way to work. I wasn't meeting my goals, nor was I helping out my team. Sorry, but the
0: answer is no. I couldn't help but over here. How can I help? You can help by being flexible. If a process won't allow us to flex, What's the point?
4: As it turns out, our continued flexing created a situation where we couldn't have focus on the prioritized work. We get that things come up, and they might even be more important than what we agreed to focus on at the beginning of the sprint. Have you talked with the product owner? If we need to, we can stop this sprint, replan, and change direction.
0: We don't have time for all that. This work is important and needs to get done. Why can't the team members work longer hours? Heck, it's not even the whole team. One person should be able to spend a little extra time getting this change into production and then we can we can all move on. It's not that
4: simple. And doing what you suggested gets us in a bad situation every time. We can go talk to the product owner together and see how this new work ranks against the
0: other work we've committed to doing. You can be sure I'll have something to say about this new process which prohibits us from doing what our customers want. Whew, that was a heck of a
3: conversation. Nice job sticking with our working agreement. You want to go for a quick coffee to shake off that conflict? Who would say no to that, dev are You coming? Yeah, sure. When we get back, Dev, will you take a look at something with me? I'm fussing with some code, which isn't working the way I expected. Stand up on the last day of the sprint. Team,
4: look at this burndown chart. We should frame it.
3: <laughs> you scrum masters really are nerds about your burndown charts. I get it though. Not only did we finish our sprint goal, we were able to take two stories from the top of the backlog and exceed our commitment. I must say, I'm feeling pretty damn good about our demo today and pretty proud of us too. We did
2: good. All do, right. do, do. do you know what theme song I've been humming for the past month? Was it Sanford and Sons? Oh, <laughs> I,
1: that's I a great beat! And great I theme.
2: only know I only know a line or two, so I just keep humming that same. And every the other day, I wasn't even thinking about it, and I listened to myself, and I thought you're humming, and then I went, "You're humming Sanford and Sons again." <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's catchy. I guess.
1: Yeah, it's got a lot of a lot of soul in it.
2: Mm-hmm. So this is a meaty episode, a lot going on, kind of longer than some of the others. I noticed a lot of activity happening, a lot of conversation happening, I guess I should say, inside of episode nine. I know I wrote episode nine, but I will say I liked episode nine because for me, it was and it's on purpose, but it is the culmination of the work that the team did, the conversations that they've had, the conflicts that they've had, the failures and some of the successes. And I think episode nine represents what it can look like when things start to smooth themselves out as a scrum yeah. team. And I don't want to imply that there's not more speed bumps and more improvements to be made. This is not a well-oiled machine yet, but this is a team that's learning from their mistakes, learning from their successes, sticking together having difficult conversations, pushing back on management with the eye toward we need to be and want to be successful. And we think by abiding by these values and following good scrum practices, we're going to get there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I
2: feel like I'm proud of the team. (laughs) They're totally fictional, but I I like these people. (laughs) I'm proud of what they've been through. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I feel I feel proud of them also, and I feel like it's uh, really been great to watch the team's growth. Mm -hmm. I think we see in this episode a lot of the the roles, the characters kind of step into their own with Mm -hmm. more confidence. Mm -hmm. The Scrum Master, for sure, um, really facilitating, doing a little bit of educating, teaching the dev and the testers stand out in this episode. also. the communication, the way they're communicating about the stories they could have or could not have tested and work that could not have been complete. And we also see a manager that comes in and kind of exhibits that traditional manager behavior. And in this episode, we don't see that that rattles the team. It, the team did not get rattled.
2: No, they it, felt like I think they had the tools to push back. Yeah. One thing I wanted to talk about, Nathan, you made a point about the Scrum Master and coming into her own, I think, in this episode. And what's interesting is she really spreads her wings around being a strong and solid facilitator. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important. We see really good Scrum Master facilitation skills in particular in episode nine. So if you're a yep. Scrum Master and you're listening to this, go back and re listen to episode nine, because this is really where I think you could take some tips and tricks and notes and apply them.
1: Definitely. But um, I, I would also say listen to some of listen to episode seven. Also, we see the Scrum Master for the first time in episode seven really find those wings or get to feel them in the way that she pushes back. Mm -hmm. Um, But in episode nine, uh, for sure, there's something that this scrum master does that that really great. I always see great scrum masters do this is they really set a stage for what is going to happen and the rules of engagement the rules of the event that is currently taking place this scrum master does that well everyone when this scrum master engages everyone knows um what their role is what's to be discussed they know who the facilitator is and they defer to her to help lead them through conversations Mm -hmm. now they don't defer to her to lead the team i want to make or make decisions
2: for the team exactly right
1: Right. They defer to her to lead the conversations because she is really the the catalyst for that to make sure that everyone is using, knowing, sharing all the appropriate information mm-hmm. that is needed to make the team successful.
2: Mm-hmm. And they finish their sprint. And they I do. think they finished their sprint for a couple of reasons. One, it's sprint three. So a couple episodes ago, we talked about how long does it take for the sprint to get their scrummy sea legs underneath them? And anywhere from three to six sprints is probably the answer on average in general, based on our shared experience. And that that's what happens in episode three. Uh, I, most teams I work with don't nail it quite as well as this team did in, in episode three. I meant sprint three. Uh They don't nail it quite as well as this team did in sprint three, where not only did they finish everything they planned to do, but they grabbed a couple extra. That's like a bonus point because we wrote it. (laughs) But I wouldn't expect that that happens most of the time in reality. One of the reasons I think they did that, though, and I think this is something we want to talk about, is the team slightly undercommitted. And in Scrum, if you're kind of being particular to the letter of the law, you would have velocity, capacity behind it. to rely on, right? You'd have a pattern of your velocity and capacity. And and at sprint three, you just don't have that. It's still too new. You're starting to form it, but it's still too new. And so there's a little bit of uh, philosophical conversation amongst coaches, I think. Should a team ever slightly undercommit? Because you're really supposed to commit to what you believe you can do, not overcommit, not undercommit. And and here we had a team that undercommitted a little and ended up being able to go grab two story points. And so I think if you got a bunch of scrum masters together, you'd have varying opinions about whether that was the right thing to do or whether they should have pulled in those two stories to begin with. Yeah, I, What's your opinion?
1: I love it when teams under commit. I mean, um, you don't see it as much with high performing teams that know their mm-hmm. capacity, that um, kind of plan and move according to that capacity. But when new teams that are forming under commit, I'm always excited about by that. N-
2: And I agree with you because you added the word new teams. Mm -hmm. If teams consistently undercommit, to me, that's a bad smell. It is. It probably is an anti-pattern. And the pattern would be have your velocity and capacity numbers so that you know what you can commit to. The anti-pattern would be don't have those metrics or don't trust them uh, and therefore undercommit. But for new teams, I think there's such a desire to be successful that sometimes we grab a little more then we can do. And it best of intentions, best yeah. of intentions, or we feel pressured because maybe the last couple sprints weren't successful. When I have a team that has a rolling six sprint average, and that average has been consistent more than two times, then I would say, let's commit to what we've been able to do in the past. Yeah. When you have a brand new team who's at sprint three, we just don't know yet. Yeah. And I agree with you a little bit of some people call it sandbagging. I think that term has some negative connotations yeah. under commit probably has some negative connotations. What I think it really is, is we don't yet know. So this is our best guess.
1: Yeah. How long are you comfortable with a new team under committing?
2: Somewhere between one and six sprints. Okay. What about you?
1: I'm comfortable a little bit longer than that. I, I think, so six sprints is a quarter if we're talking two-week sprints. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with them figuring it out until sprint 12.
2: Really? Okay. Yeah,
1: And I, I will fully acknowledge and admit that most coaches would not be comfortable with that. They mm-hmm. would think that was too long. Mm-hmm. But you you actually hit hit the nail on the head for the reason why when you said a rolling six-month average. Six-sprint average. Six, oh, you said six-sprint. Mm -hmm. I don't think a team really finds their stride until they're together, consistent with no changes on that team until about two quarters. In two quarters, I think they work out all the willies. And if their work doesn't change that much, I think that's when you can really expect for them to. They should know their capacity and they should mm-hmm, be working. Mm-hmm.
2: To it It should be. Well, they they certainly should have hit that consistent rolling six sprint average, right? They should. have. But you also said something really important, maybe even as an aside in the statement you just made, which is if there are no changes to the team,
1: because right. any
2: time you make a change to the team and we didn't experience that in this season, maybe that'll be next season. But any time you have a change to the team. You go back to that Tuckman model of let me see if I can get this straight, but forming, storming, norming, and performing. And so you might only go back for a sprint or so, but you're gonna go back to the beginning and it's not like you do a total reset and topple the board, but the team has to figure stuff out again. And that's that includes someone coming on or someone going off, introducing someone new or exiting someone. Same thing. The team has to kind of breaks apart for a bit and then it has to come back together.
1: Right. What do you think about the working agreements discussion? this well we
2: threw that in i don't i don't recall us talking about working agreements in the other episodes and if we did shame on me for not remembering it but i have teams where working agreements were helpful and i have teams where we made working agreements and they never ever looked at them again yeah and i think it is and as a scrum master and a coach sometimes i can get pushy about working agreements and say that we need them and when the team doesn't want them They'll do it because I said we should do it maybe as a scrum master or coach, but if they don't want them, they're not going to be useful. It's when the team wants them that they become useful. And I think the conversation about working agreements is more important than memorializing the working agreements and making them someplace visible. Now, when I worked with teams that were small and they were meaning they were totally right-sized and we all worked together in a collaborative space and we had our working agreements posted on a big giant post-it note, they were very helpful. Mm -hmm. When I work with teams that are not co-located and most teams are not anymore and they're posted out on confluence, let's say, the team doesn't usually reference them but they remember parts of the conversation and they will reference parts of the conversation together. So maybe that's the benefit. It's not necessarily the outcome and the memorialization of the working agreements. It's that conversation around how do we want to work together?
1: Exactly. Yeah. I'm with you totally 100% there. Well,
2: you're a smart man, Nathan.
1: Um, I know. Uh I know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, I think the other thing with working agreements is that sometimes working agreements can really limit a team because, some teams, when they need to create one, they use this working agreement almost as an SLA. Mm. And it, it just becomes this thing that they kind of hate to use the term manage to, or they interact to, they interact to that working agreement. Mm-hmm. And usually if that's the case, I think that those teams are kind of in trouble because they're not, they're not having conversations. They're, they're right. writing a document. Right. Kind of
2: like by the time we have to pull up the contract because we disagree about something, the relationships eroded a bit. Yeah. It's not it's not healthy.
1: Yeah, but they they can be helpful. I've seen them be helpful and I've seen them not be helpful.
2: <laughs> right. I haven't seen them be damaging. I have I did have an experience though where a team member was asked to leave the team. And it wasn't really about the working agreement. It was about so it was a dev team and we had a working agreement that we wouldn't rewrite each other's code. And the fact that you had to have that working agreement tells you something about where the team was. But this one team member loved or had a habit of rewriting people's code at night. And you'd come in in the morning and you didn't know why your code wasn't in the state you thought it was, why it was rewritten. Tests were often broken. And there's ramifications for that. Yeah, And, and someone else had to pull in his check-in. Which meant somebody else was on board with him writing code in the off hours as well. So it was a bad team dynamic, right? There was some bad stuff happening. And when we said, but our team or our working agreement or team agreement, they're interchangeable, said uh, we weren't going to do this. The response was, well, I didn't like the way the code was written. I don't care about the working agreement. And And really the working agreement in that case didn't help because the the developer frankly said, I don't care what we agreed to as a team. Now that led to a discussion, but I don't know that the working agreement helped other than we could point to it and that person said, I don't care. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's not a great story. We might edit that out. I'm not sure. But I guess having it was helpful because we could point to it. But the person, frankly, just shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't care. And that person was asked to leave the team. The team said to me as the manager, if he can't abide by what we've agreed to do, he can't be a part of the team.
1: I think that's a great story that illustrates how the working agreement works.
2: Well, since you do the editing, you can decide if you want to keep it in or not. It's in. It's in. All right. Well, there you go. So we had, um, speaking of sort of not awesome behavior, we had a manager who showed up and said, what, I have a prod issue and I need somebody to work longer hours. And what do you mean? I can't just put this stuff in. I'm here to tell you people what to do. And I'm trying to flex his muscles a little bit.
1: Yeah. And it's funny that this happens, you know, our last episode, we had the fallout and resolution uh from one of the team members who had a pet project from a manager that was blowing up this their sprints they weren't Mm -hmm. able to make their commitment Mm -hmm. then a manager comes in in this particular episode and is upset about not being able to push interest sprint work to the team Mm -hmm. oh and then you have the manager just get up and storm out Mm -hmm. it's (laughs) i mean that
2: came that came from a real life experience that wasn't fiction.
1: I've had that happen a couple. Of times.
2: Yeah, names have been names have been changed to protect the not so innocent. But yeah, yeah.
1: I've, I've had that happen a couple of times.
2: What role did you play on the team when you had when you experienced that?
1: I was a PO. was a product owner.
2: And how do you handle that as a? PO? Actually,
1: I've had that happen to me as a scrum master also. Okay. On another team.
2: And how do you handle that in either role or both roles?
1: As a PO, I listen. I take the feedback. I ensured that the manager knew that I heard him, Mm -hmm. that he was heard and understood. But beyond that, there's nothing else I could do at this point. Mm -hmm. The model, the scrum, the model is the framework. We'll take the requests at the end of each sprint. We prioritize to determine what is the highest priority Mm -hmm. um, based on whatever criteria, whether that's value or technology, technical debt or whatever, going into the next sprint and we'll make a decision. And I'm empowered as the product owner to make those decisions in the mm-hmm. best interest of the of the customer.
2: I've had that experience. I've also had an experience where we hadn't started. So the manager did what we saw in episode nine. Mm-hmm. We were kind of a couple days into the sprint. So not too far into the sprint. We hadn't started all the stories. This team was pretty good at swarming. Mm-hmm. And they, I don't think we've talked about swarming really quickly. They collaborated together on stories to get them from one side of the board to the next. But we had maybe a five-point story. Let's call it that we hadn't started, and the team, the product owner, brought it to the team and said, "I'm not asking us to add this in. I'm saying, is there anything we haven't started where this would be kind of the same size, same effort, and still enable us to complete our sprint?" And the mm-hmm. team did not have sprinkles, but if they had, and meet the sprinkle, and the team came together and said, if we swapped out this, this, or this, we could add this in. And then the product owner went and made a decision. And I think in some cases, or in one case, she did pull it in. In another case, she said way too disruptive. And there were times where the team said, look, this is all feature work you choose. Do you want feature work and you want your feature done? Or do you not want feature work and we can do this stuff? And I've seen it where it was important enough that we just stopped the sprint and regrouped. And it was, the CEO brought something in that was pretty significant. And I, at the time, was doing some coaching with the CEO. And I said, is this important enough that you would stop the rest of this work? It was a real small company. So the CEO was pretty influential on prioritization, Mm -hmm. where you would stop the rest of this work. And he said, yes. And I said, well, let me talk to the team. Because it's not just going to cost you this sprint. It's going to cost you time while we regroup yeah uh, because context switching is expensive and told him approximately how much time he would lose if we made the context switch and he chose to make the context switch yeah so we just stopped the sprint started something new started this new work for another sprint and then picked back up the old work i would not recommend that in the end it really wasn't worth it but at least we gave the decision maker data yeah. around what the cost would be, the total cost would be if we elected to interject something other than what we expected to be doing.
1: Yeah. Was was the CEO, I understand it's a small company, mm-hmm. was more of a stakeholder or acting as the product owner? I mean, of course, there, he's, he or
2: Probably she. a little more as a product owner. There was a okay. product owner role, but when it came to prioritization, the CEO was really influential over what the priorities were. Yeah. Now it became apparent just to roll this forward a bit that that wasn't great uh, because he had differing objectives depending on what was happening in his role. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that that was something I would encourage anyone to repeat or follow.
1: Yeah. So the CEO as product owner stopped the sprint or did your team level product owner stop the sprint?
2: the team level product owner and the scrum master in the team Mm
1: -hmm. okay i was just asking because usually if according to the old information in the scrum Guide, we know that in real life it happens differently but (laughs) you know if you start or stop a sprint the only person that should be able to stop the sprint is the actual product owner
2: right and and we were new enough at what we were practicing that i put the product owner and the ceo together okay so that the ceo wouldn't unilaterally Cancel the sprint.
1: Right. Tied back to the manager who comes in and is upset because he can't push work to the team and wants to control the team. Sometimes managers think they can come in and kind of stop the sprint or change the entire direction of the sprint. Oh,
2: yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And the only person that has the ability to do that for our two listeners out there is the uh, product
2: owner? Well, we might have three. We're on episode nine. We had two double? on episode seven. I think we might have three. Now oh, we picked episode up nine. one. But but also stakeholders will try and do that. So we use the term manager. But but really what I think we mean, Nathan, is anyone besides the product owner. Right, exactly. C- CEO of a company, in the example, I just gave a mm-hmm. stakeholder, a manager, etc. So anyone outside of that PO role yep. doesn't have the authority to interject work and stop the sprint yeah what happens when this team stays focused
1: they get their work done
2: they get their work done
1: the scrum master was really instrumental in sheltering the team keeping the distractions mm-hmm. away
2: mm-hmm.
1: they became more focused
2: and the team held themselves accountable to that too they so did. it was a double plus whammy the scrum master was really good at shielding the team being the heat shield and the team was really good about holding themselves accountable.
1: Yeah, I'm just reminded of episode eight, where we had the the fallout and resolution from that one team member, who was working on a pet project for an executive. One episode later, this team comes together and finishes a sprint. You can tell their conversations have changed. Mm-hmm. They are mm-hmm. functioning as a team. Mm-hmm. They've they've grown. They've stepped into their roles. Um, they weren't rattled by the manager. Storming in, and asking questions, storming out.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think that's artificial. I've nope. seen teams make, have a lot of success in how they work together inside of, from sprint to sprint. Yep. It doesn't necessarily take a long time to make changes that allow teams to be stronger. Right. Good point. Thanks for bringing that up. How important do you think it is for teams to win within their first few sprints? And then we should talk about how we're defining win, but.
1: I think it's important. I also I tell you, I also think it's important that they fail once.
2: <laughs> well, <they're laughs> right. And really, by win and fail, we're talking about completing the work that they thought they could do. Right. OK.
1: They need to be able to complete the work. They need to have at least one sprint where they complete the work that they've identified they can complete and they, I actually hope that they have a moment where they don't do that and it feels like failure. I, if I a team
2: finished two of their three sprints, two of their first three, I would say something's wrong. Well. I've n- I've never had it. I've true. never had a team finish all the work that they committed to doing two of three times in their first three sprints. Yeah. Have you?
1: There's one team I want to say yes to. I'm going to say no because we had defects.
2: Okay. And also, I think when we look at that word win, how are we defining win? So a couple episodes ago, we defined winning as how much did you learn your first two sprints? <laughs> now, how much did you complete and how much did you deliver? Yeah. So if winning is learning and being willing to learn, being willing to take chances, being willing to experiment, then yes, you can win your first sprint out. If winning is completing all the stories or the work that you committed to doing, then you should not plan for that. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I think over, I think I agree with you totally. I'm with you there. I think when I think in terms of winning and failing, the first thing that comes to mind is really, the mindset, that switch over to the mindset where they are thinking in smaller increments, thinking about uh, doing working in smaller increments in this two-week time box, understanding their roles. Mm -hmm. And hopefully sometime within those first three to six sprints, they're actually able to deliver the work that they have estimated or committed to. Um, But the learning is important, as you indicated. Mm -hmm. But it's that shift to where they're not trying to work in the same way that they did previously.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This was it for our team. As coaches, we get to give them virtual hugs and cheer them on. And they're they're off and running. Yeah. Our work here is done.
1: I think so. Too bad we can't take them all out for a drink.
2: We can't even take each other out for a drink.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We can meet on Zoom and drink
2: we can i'd rather eat cookies <laughs> we, can, we can buy each other cookies <laughs>
1: you don't want to you don't want to watch me drink
2: kombucha oh that's so gross <laughs> i don't know how you do that nathan we have one more episode where one we uh, kind of wrap it all up
1: we're gonna wrap it up
2: all right see you on episode 10. All the music in our podcast is created by Gilpin Hill. That dude,
1: now that dude is great. He can play some music. I'm telling you that.
2: Mm -hmm. Chris Tolino, also known as Sweet Tony, also known as One Take Tony, is the voice actor on our podcast introduction this season. Chris also played the role of manager one throughout the season. And Chris, we thank you for both. Special thanks to our friends Bay Hall, Lauren Harrison, Eric Harrison, Arnold Panjiannabon, John Amaranjan, Margie Morse, Ryan Babbage, and Srikanth Reddy, who were all script actors for the episodes in this season. If you are looking for exceptional agile coaches, look no further than this collection of great people.
1: You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are available. We are Alicia Yannick and Nathan Bouache, the Agile Twins. If you have questions, comments, or ideas, you can connect with us at transformationsimulation.com. Thank you for listening.